Hey everyone, before the show starts, we have time for a couple words. I want to talk to you guys about Betterment. Betterment is the largest and fastest growing automated investing service, managing over $3 billion for over 100,000 customers. They help people manage and grow their wealth through smarter technology for a fraction of the cost of traditional financial services. Betterment offers exceptional customer service and great advice, helping you make better financial decisions, invest for your personal goals, and stay on track for retirement. So I love companies like this. Companies that come along and revolutionize the industry that they're in because they make things available to consumers that in the past wouldn't have been so readily available. I think that is cool the way the internet uh, has 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 created this opportunity for people. Um, and with Betterment, the technology automates everything from rebalancing and tax-efficient investing to deposits and personalized advice. Get up to six Six months of automated investing free and more information when you go to betterment.com slash Allison. That's betterment.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T.com slash Allison. Betterment, investing made better. Okay, here is the episode with April Richardson. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here in Dining Room Studios with April Richardson, podcaster, comedian, writer, person who is sort of losing her voice right now. Sort of. Yes. Hi. Hi. Yes. Welcome. It's Thank exciting you. to have you <laughs> on the show. So tell me and the listeners and Jeff what's going on with your voice. Um, I was up until about two or three in the morning. Uh, crying and screaming along to every David Bowie song. Uh, my friend Aaron Gibson at the last minute, like she just called this bar and was like, hey, can we just do, can me and my friends take over your bar and play Bowie all night? And they were like, yeah, sure. So I just texted everyone I've ever met and was like, come do this. And so we all danced and but it was where, really where, cathartic. Where was my text? Did you get a text, Jeff? I don't have I either do one not. of your phone numbers. My phone must have been off. Yeah. I do not have either one of your phone numbers. Otherwise, you would have received okay. said text. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun night. I mean, it was, you know, bittersweet. But yeah, I I was screaming all night long. I saw some uh, someone tweeted something about how, out of respect, she wasn't going to dance to a certain David Bowie song. and then <laughs> Oh, that was my friend Mary. Yes. And yeah. then you're like, how dare you? Or <laughs> yes, essentially? Yes, totally. Well, because she was there too. Yeah. I mean, I was, for the most part, it was like everybody it was that you've ever of- met. No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Except for you. I on purpose did not invite you. Well, we were comparing stories at first in the classic, like, where were you when you heard? And then... I mean, I was dancing like a crazy person the whole time. And then people I was talking to, we'd be mid-sentence. And, you know, if it was something like modern love, I'm like, well, we have to dance now. Stop talking. We have to dance now. <laughs> I think that happened with Mary. And she's like, oh, I don't want to. I'm like, oh, no, you're dancing. Like, you're not getting out of this. So, yeah. So I know you as a huge Morrissey fan. Mm-hmm. Clearly also a huge David Bowie fan. Sure. Yeah. But if. And yes. a huge Saved by the Bell fan. I'm a huge host fan. Of Go Bayside. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. All of the above. Well, I think the thing with David Bowie, have you guys ever met anyone who was like, I don't like him? Mm-mm. Like, no. there's no one who's like, I hate him. 
No. And the amazing thing was, I was talking to Dana about this yesterday, was that David Bowie in the 70s, said Jeff sounding old, he was the gateway drug to great music. Completely. So when you were kind of mired in really bad, um, you know, classic rock and like right. fog hat and all that right. stuff, David Bowie was the one guy that was getting played on regular radio and you wouldn't get really beat up for liking. Right. That was like all of a sudden, oh, you like good music. Mm, totally. Yeah, even the stoners liked them. Everybody liked yes, them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So... I'm not, yes, I love him, but it, I, I'm not a walking encyclopedia of David Bowie stuff. I mean, I know people who are, mm-hmm. but for me, it was so much like, like you just said the thing about not be, getting beat up. He, he, I don't know how to say all of these things without sounding like a child, because even a part of me, when I found out he died, I swear, as I'm sitting here, a 36-year-old grown woman, a part of my brain was like, but he... He's not a person. How did he die? He's not a person. <laughs> he's like immortal. Yeah, totally. Like there was a part of me that really went, "That's not possible, though, because he's an alien." <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just that sort of thing where he's the patron saint of weirdos in every single conceivable way that you music, acting, clothes, art. He made everyone feel okay about being mm-hmm. however weird they were in whatever way that they were. And so I almost, and the songs are all jams, of course, but it was like, that's what I think of when I think of him is just giving comfort to people who didn't feel like they fit in. And that goes for everyone I like. That goes for Morrissey. That goes, I mean, I found out about him other than 80s stuff. I mean, 80s Bowie's like my Bowie because I grew up on like Modern Love and Let's Dance and the yellow suit and that stuff. But when I started liking people like Morrissey and Michael Stipe of R.E.M. and stuff, like, of course, every interview, they're like, David Bowie, David Bowie, David Bowie. And so that's kind of what made me go back and go, oh, I need to know more about this guy, clearly, because everyone cool says he's the coolest, you know? So You tweeted something about that. Um, I forget the exact words, but it was sort of the giving comfort to weirdos, and I retweeted it. Yes, because I so think beautiful. I that is, and I will literally start crying. I've I cried so hard yesterday because I just it turns me on when that happens. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I and it, again, it makes me feel so juvenile because certainly people my age, I know that so many of them are like, it's just a guy who made records, or you know, it's not. They sound like assholes. <laughs> I, I get that everybody places importance on what they place importance on, and for most people my age, it's their family or their business or whatever. But for somebody who didn't have those things and also didn't have aspirations to have those things, you know, art, uh, art even sounds pretentious, records, whatever, music, I mean, that becomes what's important to you. And yeah, I just think, I mean, I literally am going to cry because I, I think anybody who uses, I think being creative is brave full stop. Like it just mm-hmm. is. And I, and, and especially going as I can't even put it into the tweet. It's like anybody who uses that creativity to make something that makes somebody else feel better. I just think they're saints. I mean, that's like you're already putting yourself out there by making any creative output because immediately anything you make is going to be criticized and you know that going into Mm -hmm. it. But when you do something that's so, I mean, even as something in like the seventies is like wearing a woman's dress on TV, which now sounds tame, but then was like a revolutionary political act. It's like, even in, even knowing I'm going to make like a gay kid or a queer kid or a trans kid feel Mm -hmm. better for even five seconds. If I do this is you should be, 
knighted or saying or whatever. It's like, it's just that means so much to me. And I think it should be the aim of anyone who creates anything, I guess. What did you feel like growing up? You grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, right? I did. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I, which isn't the backwoods or anything. It's a bustling cosmopolitan city, but you know, I, yeah, I was, I'm an only kid. Uh, My parents, my dad left when I was like three. I have a stepdad now, but so I didn't have, I mean, record, it sounds, that's also seems so precious and earnest, but <laughs> that's also why the stuff remains so important to me because I probably interacted with records and stuff more than I did people. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I wasn't like some recluse, like I had friends and was a reasonably, I guess, well-adjusted kid. But when you're an only kid, especially like, yeah, you spend a lot of time in your room. My husband to records. Uh, was an only kid. Mm-hmm. And actually a couple of some of my good friends were too. Um, it seems very isolating. Like, did you feel isolated? I did, but I actually liked it. It is. And there were times growing up that my mom would actually say to me, like, are you ever sad that I didn't give you a sibling? And I, when I was growing up, all my friends that had siblings fought with them constantly. So I was like, no. I'm like, <laughs> nobody's going through my shit. I love it. Like, I was not sad. Um, I mean, what, there are times that when I'm older, that changes only because... I think about, you know, like when my parents die, that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. This is getting so gr- immediately. I'm like, let's really talk about death the entire <laughs> time I'm here. Um, but growing up, I kind of enjoyed it because nobody bothered me. Mm-hmm. I could really just do what I wanted. I don't mean in the way I wasn't spoiled in the way that my parents like bought me everything I wanted or whatever, but like no one was going through my stuff. I didn't have to share my toys, you know, and if I was, if I wanted to go up to my room and shut the door and listen to music or read a book, nobody bothered me. Um, I think one of the classic things that people say about only kids is, oh, they don't learn to share. Yeah. Is that true? Like, do you have trouble sharing nowadays? You'd have to ask people I hang out with. (laughs) I feel like it is yes and no. Like objects, like I'll fully be like, I'll share my food or if you need money, I'll give it to you. Like, that but space mm-hmm. or time i'm probably very selfish with for sure that's definitely been a thing in relationships and even in the way that i always did everything myself i did have one boyfriend when we broke up he was like i just felt like you never needed me and in my head i'm like well i didn't need <laughs> you i wanted you but isn't that isn't that the goal he he hated it. He was like, I feel useless. Mm-hmm. There, I don't, you don't need me to do anything for you. And I'm like, yeah, because in my head, that's the ideal. Right. But he was like, yeah, they're just, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't, I want you around though. I mean, mm-hmm. I can change my tire or, or do whatever it is that I can do on my own that you think I don't need you for, but. Right. So do that's, you take, know. did, do you, or did you take pride in not needing him? Yeah, I definitely like to, def- I think maybe that, how does it, do you see that in your own husband? No, because I, <laughs> well, you'd have to ask him, but when like, I am way too good at letting him bring in all the groceries. Like since we've been married, I have not brought in a bag of groceries unless right. I went to the store by myself. And I don't think he feels useful. I think he's like, Hey bitch, how about, <laughs> how about you carry some groceries? <laughs> But is there any of these times? Are there any of his behaviors or attitudes where you go, "Oh, that's so only child of you" or something? Oh, I I see. Sorry, I was I was on something else. Um. Uh, are there any that? I think 
this is a this is a real roundabout answer. <laughs> sometimes I think he has, and I'm sure he would not love me saying this. Sometimes I think he has an idealistic view of what compromise is, and I'm sure I, I have think that too. That he thinks that comp he thinks that compromise is two people together reaching a decision that feels the same level of good to both of them, as opposed to no, it's it's I find in application compromise more often is one person going, This one's not that big a deal to me. I'll get the right the next one. That's you just that's amazing what you just said, because I feel like I agree with your husband. I so you have the that same idealized view of compromise yes, as the well. The same attitude where you come to a thing where both people equally like it instead of one person makes a sacrifice. Right. Yeah. That's funny because we never had to do it. We never had yes. to do it yeah, at all. I think that's I. Th- I think that's where that comes from. Versus with siblings, where it's like one person's always not quite getting their way, and you just kind right. of figure it'll all work out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny. That is a perfect. You were like, "This is gonna be roundabout," and I'm like, "You nailed it on the head. Couldn't have nailed <laughs> it better, you. for sure." So you were a kid who was into books and music growing up, uh, mm. and it was just you and your mom, pretty much. Well, no, my mom married my stepdad when I was like five. Okay, so he's been around, but like we didn't get along super good. So at an early age, I was kind of like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna listen to anything you say." So. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds so bratty, but it was kind of like that. We get we get along much better now that I'm an adult and since I moved out. Mm-hmm. But um, why didn't you get along then? Do you think he was super mean to me? <laughs> I mean, without going too deep into like my family history or whatever, he yeah, we just had a really weird relationship because I he already had two sons that were much older. My parents were like. I was like five when my parents got married and they were like 17 and 18. Mm. So they only lived with us for like a year or something, but they were super huge dicks to me (laughs) and would like break my toys and like lock me out of my room. And I'm like five, six, seven years old. They were dicks. And so I just was sort of like, they seem too old to be dicks at that age. Well, it was sure. Oh, of course. I mean, yes. But you know, with adult retrospect, I'm like, oh, I get it. You guys were also bummed. Your parents got divorced. Right. And you didn't want a new family there. Like as an adult, I'm like, I see what you did, but as a six-year-old i'm like look i don't know who these dicks are i don't want to be here yeah i just remember at such an early age just going like just thinking like i I don't want to be here just as much as you don't want me to be here Mm. but it's how it is and i yeah i just but then when he would tell me to do things or tell me no i would just go to my mom and be like this guy doesn't let me do anything (laughs) what was was her attitude about it um she knew she knew that he it was like he his and his sons were like not as teenagers i mean they're better now as adults but as teenagers they were like quote unquote like stereotypically bad teenagers mm-hmm. like got drunk had crazy parties got arrested like just you know whatever normal teenage dude stuff but i didn't i never got in trouble which isn't to say i'm not like a saint i just don't do those classic things of drinking or whatever and he was always like mad he was always mad I didn't get in trouble, so he'd like invent reasons to get me in trouble. Which he, the your my stepdad? stepdad. So it's like if I came home from something like five minutes late, he'd be like, "Oh, you're grounded for a month," and it's like, "No, I'm not." Like that's ridiculous. And then so I just go to my mom and go, "I'm not grounded for a month, am I?" That's ridiculous. So it was just things like that. And where, she would say no. Yeah, she would, you know, often take right. my side and it, and would say, that's, "Well, that's good that you had that." Yeah, it, right. But it didn't make for like the chillest home life <laughs> because it was just the sort of thing where. 
you know, they're still married. They still love each other. Like whatever they got's fine. But it there it was like a three way it was like all three of us against each other growing mm-hmm. up or something. Even though my mom is I adore my mom. She's the best. But yeah, it wasn't it was a tense situation just yeah. because it was sort of like Yeah, I get you're married to this dude, but like I don't I'm not honoring what this guy's saying. Mm-hmm. Like he's not the boss of me. <laughs> it was kind of my attitude. And did you have any relationship with your dad? No. My real dad peaced when I was like three. And between the ages of three and like 12, I saw him maybe like five times. Mm-hmm. And then he died when I was 22. But had which, you not seen him since No, 12? like the ages of 12 to 22, I, I never saw him at all. And then, or heard from him in any way. Were, had you had you been wanting to see him? No. Like I never, and that sounds like I'm, no, I never pined for him because it was this sort of thing where I'm like, he was never even around to begin with. Right. And he left, I was so young when he left that it wasn't even like I had memories of him. Mm. And yeah, the handful of times I hung out with him between the ages of five and 12, it was when he he got remarried after my mom like four times or something. And so it would be times where he's like, come meet my new wife. (laughs) So it was extra. I'm like, no, I'm like, I barely know you and I don't want to meet this lady. Right. And so it was a, it was really weird visits where it would be like, you know, me, him, the new lady who, who would often have kids. And I'd go, I don't want to hang out. I don't know these kids either. Like, I don't want to hang out with these kids. <laughs> and then, yeah, he just stopped. When I turned 11 or 12, like, just disappeared off the face of the earth. Like, literally every day is where my mom's like, I don't know if he's alive, dead. I don't know. And then his sister called when I was like, yeah, I was like 22 or 23. And I had just had dinner with my parents because um, I was in college. I started college late. And so I, like, came, had dinner with my parents and then yeah there was a message on the machine from his sister that was like oh, you gotta call me I was like all panicked and i even remember joking i remember telling my mom like oh i bet she's calling to say he's dead <laughs> and then because it just it was such a foreign right. it's like a person i don't even know and then she was she was calling to be like oh he's cancer and he is dying whatever and she was really rude to me weirdly she was like he's your father you should be talking to him and i was like mm, i'm the kid here yeah. like i have zero responsibility to this dude and yeah, it was just this weird thing. And then I ended up, but I didn't talk to him. He died like a month later or something. Had he been asking for you or do you think she just took it on herself to reach out to you? I think he had been asking for, I think, because I think she, yes, because she was like, well, he really wants to talk to you. Uh, but again, I can't, she was, the tone she was saying this in was like condescend, like yell, like where I'm like, I've never met her, by the way. I've never met anyone on my mm. dad's side, my real dad's side of the family, not a one person. And she's like, I'm your aunt. Like, you should have been talking to me. And I was like, I've never met you. I don't know why you're yelling at me. Y'all have known where I've lived this entire time. I dislike this woman intensely. Totally. Yeah. And I was like, I'm the kid, so it's not my responsibility to look for this dude. And then she was like, well, you know, he really does want to talk to you. If he calls, will you answer? And I was kind of like, I don't know. I was like, probably not. I mean, I really was. I was like, he can try, but probably not, honestly. I was like, I'm 22, dude. Like, what? Mm-hmm. And uh, he did try to call me a couple times, and I didn't answer. It was, it was. I remember it being very weird. I remember he left a message on my machine at my apartment, and it was like the weirdest thing to hear his voice. It was like a total stranger going, oh, I love you. Like, I was like, what? It was right. so weird. Um, In the moment, your decision not to take the call um i'm wondering where that came from like if it were me i think it would be anger and 
but also fear. Um, but I'm like a person who's afraid of the phone in general, let alone <laughs> it being my dad, who I haven't talked to in forever, who's now dying, you know? Right. So it was, I don't know really, because I'm sure it was a combination of so many things. I mean, the first being immaturity, I was 22, but also just sort would of. Would you have handled it differently now, do you think? You know, I don't know if I would, because I, I don't know. Because it was, I don't hold, I'm not a person that holds, it was almost indifferent. I'm not a person that holds grudges truly, which sounds completely contradictory to what I just told mm. you, where I'm like, my dying yeah. dad called and I was like, fuck you, dude. But No, it doesn't because what I'm wondering is whether there was anger there or whether you were truly just sort of, you'd reached a point of resignation and acceptance, which yeah. they could look the same. It was just sort of like, I don't know you. I've never known you. It, you know, I, what are we going to talk about? It, I mean, I guess the one thing that does make it sound like anger or grudge holding is that I think I knew, part of me knew the only, the phone call was only to alleviate guilt. Right. And like he hadn't been there for you. Yeah. It was a hundred percent to be like, I know I'm dying. I want to make sure you're not mad at me before I die. Mm. And so I guess, again, contradicting what I just said, part of me was kind of like, you don't get to have that. <laughs> Which is sounds mean. That sounds so harsh and grudge holding, but it was just like I didn't I didn't do anything wrong here, mm-hmm. man. Now you how were you so clear about that? Because I love that you're like, I'm the kid. I don't have the obligation. Yeah. But I feel like as people's kid, I have felt obligated for so very many things since I was a young person. Like I like that's something that there's part of me, like I I totally be- I agree with you about who the onus is on, um, but emotionally I get um, manipulated is a real strong word, but I guess I'm not always emotionally clear on that. Right. Um. Well, I think because there were no like a emo- like he had been gone he. The amount of time he was in my life was only a fraction of the time that he had been out of it. Like, there was no frame of reference. I couldn't even go, there was no, there are no fond memories to even access to go, oh, remember when we did this father-daughter thing? That never existed. Mm -hmm. So there was no, there were no tie, there was no loyalty. There was no like, well, he did do that one thing. Remember when he taught me to ride a bike? He didn't do any of that shit. So there was no, it was just the weirdest sensation of, it was like a stranger I passed on the street, stopped me and was like, I'm dying of cancer where I was like, that is sad. I'm sad for you, (laughs) but I don't know who you are. Right. I don't know what I can do for you because we're strangers. You know what I mean? Were you sad when he, or how did you feel when he died? I didn't go to his funeral and my mom and my Nana went to visit him. The weird thing is, is my, my Nana lives in, my extended family lives in Savannah and weirdly he had moved to like the same street as my Nana or something. Because before this happened, we found out. I'm going deep. I hope this isn't like I love going. I, no, no, I love when people go deep. In the interim, in those like decade plus where we had no idea what he was doing at all, like later on, my mom found out, like towards the end of that, uh, that he had been living in like New Jersey or something. And then one day, my nana called my mom and was like, I don't want to say his name, but it was like, I just saw him walking down my street. And my mom's like, that, what are you talking about? And it turned out he. He had been living with his sister and they lived, they moved on to the same street, like four houses down from my Nana. And that was just like, that's so weird. And I remember going to visit my Nana once and being like, I don't want to see, like being mm-hmm. nervous about seeing him walking down the street, I think. Cause I was right. like, I don't want to talk to this guy. That's weird. Um, and also weird. Cause he lo- I look exactly like, it would be like passing a male version of me on the street <laughs> too. Like I was like, that's extra creepy. 
because my mom has like blonde hair and blue eyes uh-huh. like i look exactly like him me and my mom don't even look related which is like another funny thing about him leaving where we would when i'd hang out with my mom like if we'd go to the mall people would think that like i was like if i went to the mall with a person like a friend of mine who slept over like another girl everyone always thought she was my mom's daughter i was like <laughs> oh is this the, the friend? friend and i'm like no i'm that's my mom <laughs> um but yeah what was it oh yeah so my mom and my nana went to visit him when he was in hospice he di- he f- had pancreatic cancer which is one favor he did me is like well at least now i know what i'm gonna die from thanks buddy <laughs> um so he and it was super quick like he apparently he found out he had it and he was dead within like two months Jeez. my mom according to my mom he had like his back was hurting for like a week he's just like oh i got this weird back pain and he went to the doctor and they're like oh you'll be dead in two months like you have it's pancreatic cancer oh your toast God. and it was super quick and so my mom and nana went to visit him quite a bit and i remember telling my mom i was like why are you going to visit this dude this dude <laughs> bailed on you left you with a kid yeah. and no money and no help and she was just like my mom is she was like well he gave me you like you wouldn't exist without this guy i can't I'm not, not visit him cry. yeah she just was <laughs> oh, like so, oh. there would be no you without him and oh. yeah totally my mom is so sweet so i was like fair enough and also because my mom her dad bailed on her when she was older and i even remember the same thing happened when my mom's real dad same thing called i'm dying now will you forgive me my mom totally went and like forgave him and i remember being like why are you forgiving this guy like he left you <laughs> So maybe I am like the queen of grudge holders and I'm trying to act like I'm so saintly. But so my mom and Anna visited him and then they went to his funeral and I didn't. And my mom told me that there was a picture of he and I on the casket from when I was like two. And I remember feeling really weird about that even Mm -hmm. because I was like, that's probably the last time we hung out. And it made I don't know. She was like, a lot of people were asking where you were. And I'm like, oh, that makes me feel terrible. But they don't know what happened. You know, like they don't know that. Maybe as I get older, I will regret it. If I ever have kids of my own, maybe I will go, oh, maybe I should have gone to his funeral. But I don't now. I don't on a day-to-day basis now at all. I want what I was about to say. And then I'm like, well, why, Allison, are you weighing in in this way? You don't really know. Go for it. But what I was going to say was how much of a difference could like going to the funeral make really, you know? Like, yeah. Like, or maybe visiting him. Right. Yeah. But Yeah. I guess, but at the same time, it's like we're talking about. That's that's what I'm. That's why I'm now hesitating to say it because maybe I'm sure there are people who are like, no, it could it could make a difference for both of you. But it's one of those things where it's always like, it's like we're talking about like an hour. What can, what can be accomplished in that time? You know? Yeah, yeah. Know. And but as far as going to the visiting him is maybe the thing. Like maybe as I get older, I'll regret. Like I said, now I don't. But if I had kids, or whatever. But mm. the funeral thing. Yeah, because like I said, I never met a single member of his family. Right. And so I would also just be surrounded by, I would only know my mom and my Nana at this funeral. And it, it, I just felt like, what a weird place to be. Would would my role be to be like, yeah, he, you're right. He was a great dude. Because I don't have any evidence to back that up. Right. Like, and then people giving me condolences like, oh, it's your father. And I'd be like, not really. Like, it's I don't. Just, it sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know what purpose it would have served for not me but anyone there mm-hmm. or even anyone in his family I'm, i don't want to look as rude as his sister was to me i'm not going to go to her brother's funeral and go you know what he abandoned me when i was a kid like i don't need to be there saying that in that time right so i just was like no yeah, i don't need may- to i wonder if you fa- if you it sounds like you realize like they're in that environment there wouldn't really be room for your authentic emotions about everything 
and maybe you didn't and want it would to be, be like phony. inappropriate. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny. I was thinking a lot about anger and forgiveness earlier today because I was listening to this podcast um and someone was talking about you know forgiveness being it's not saying it's okay what happened. It's saying I'm not going to let what happened affect me anymore. Right. And as I was listening to it, I was getting so agitated. I had to turn it off. I was <laughs> so agitated because I was thinking about these things in my life that I'm still holding on to. And I just can't. There's certain things that I can't get around the bend on the forgiveness because it's like, I mean, first of all, and I have these fantasies. It's It sounds so petty, but I'm admitting this anyway. Like I have these fantasies of these people coming to me and telling me how sorry they are for what happened and they understand how what happened affected me and like begging me for forgiveness. And then I would be like, yes, of course. I was like, I was watching Making, are you watching Making a Murderer? Oh yeah. Me and my mom said we watched it all on Christmas day. Um, okay. So yeah. you're, 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 I'm still in the, I don't know if I'm probably like in the middle of it, but I was thinking... I was thinking about Teresa Halbach's brother mm-hmm. um, and I was thinking if someone came to him, granted, we don't know who killed her, but like if someone came to him and begged for his forgiveness, I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking if I were him and if, if someone had like harmed me in some way um, and then begged forgiveness, I would, it would pro- even though I would still be angry at them, I feel like I would probably give it because like for some reason, like if I see someone crying and in pain, my heart goes out to them, even if I'm angry at them. But so anyway, so back to these, like my fantasies of these people apologizing to me and stuff. Um, This is such like lower self stuff I'm admitting to, but, but none of that has happened. So in the absence of that, I don't know how to forgive someone who's not asking for forgiveness and who has never acknowledged the effect of what they did never really even acknowledged what they did and also never acknowledged the effect of what they did on me. It's like, I don't know how to forgive that. And I get that I'm somehow supposed to be able to, but it was like, this is again, can't believe it. It went so far as I was like, maybe I should write a letter from this person to me saying everything that you would want them. Yes. And I was like, at first, I was like, and then I'll give it to them and say, do you agree with this? Ah, <laughs> and then I'm amazing. like, or maybe just reading it from them, even though it's from me, would right. just, make me, just to get it into words. Right. I don't know. But like, I am so stuck on the anger and the forgiveness of life. No, that well, that's interesting that you say that, because even in that scenario, if I were to sit down and be like, well, OK, I'll write an imaginary letter from my real dad. I couldn't even tell you what I wanted to say. I truly it's not anger. It's not. It's like complete apathy. I promise. Like even the times that handful of times when I was a preteen that he would call, like I would be like, what? Like I didn't even, I feel like I, even then it felt like you're just doing this for you, dude, to feel good. Like I'm good. Like Mm -hmm. I don't need, I'm doing fine. Mom's taking care of things. I got braces when I needed them. I got (laughs) surgery on my ears when I needed it. Like she's doing it. I just had to have like tubes in my ears. When I was a kid, I had like eight surgeries on my ears because I had earaches like every single day. It sucked. But I'm just saying like she was doing the parenting for two. Yeah. So it was like nothing's missing. So I don't I don't need this. You, I guess, need this sometimes to make you look cool in front of your new wife. Wives. Wives. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But there was you're right. There was never a time that he apologized or it was framed in a way that was like, hey, I'm sorry I did this to you, kid or whatever. So 
even in an ideal world, if you were like, what ideally would have happened? I couldn't even tell you that mm-hmm. because it, I, it was a thing I just never thought about. Um, what have your relationships with men been like? Funnily enough, I think I've gone and please believe I'm not trying to be like, I have zero daddy issues. Like I'm sure <laughs> I have whatever issues come with that. But like, I weirdly have the opposite that like, you know how the uh, stereotype of what like, I should be a stripper dating like, you know, motorcycle dudes or whatever that stereotypical thing is. Response would be, yeah. Mine is almost the opposite in the way that like, I've, I've especially, I've only dated guys who like hyper have their shit together. Like, do you know where Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have zero patience. If you're, if there's even a whiff of you bailing, I have zero patience for it. (laughs) So yeah, I, I, the last couple of guys I dated were like super type A, like on top of everything, organized, Mm -hmm overachievers to the max like yeah are you usually the one who breaks up with them no i got dumped twice in a row no no but they i think i i don't pick up the slack like i look for that like they're super hyper got all their shit together nailing it and i'm lazy so then they're like (laughs) wait what like we're not meeting in the middle here like i'm doing everything and you're lazy as hell that's kind (laughs) of how it's been yeah I've been thinking about how lazy I am lately. Like, I feel like I just really, really embracing my sloth. Yeah. I'm really kind of a lazy person. Like, I I ambitious, but lazy. Yeah. Or, I mean, lazy. I'm, like, content to... I don't know. I'm not... um, I don't know how to describe it. Because lazy... I don't literally, like, lay on the couch all day long. But, you know, I'm not bothered by a day where I don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not... I'm, I'm, I I don't know how to phrase it. I'm not hyper-focused on success in a way that it's like, I'll be unhappy if it doesn't come. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm happy. I like that doing comedy pays my bills. The end. Like, I don't need to be like Tom Cruise level famous. Like, I don't care. About, I genuinely don't care about it. And I have dated guys where they're like, you need to work harder in order to get that. Where their definition of success is either mega fame or failure. There's no right. in between where I'm like, I'm cool in the in between, dude. And that's read as like not being ambitious enough or mm-hmm. not being proactive enough. Well, it makes you wonder the people that achieve that Tom Hanks level of fame. Were any of them like you where they're okay with whatever happens? Or do you think they were all like hardcore going for it? It's hard to say because I feel like more good things, the best things that have happened in my life have come out of an attitude of whatever happens happens Mm -hmm. i really and that sounds so new agey like that sounds so like just whatever man the secret or whatever (laughs) no i like that stuff though i do genuinely believe that yeah because i think that like i don't know it's it's hard i can see both sides of it but like when you need desperately need something to happen that is when stuff does not exactly and when you're like i'm cool with me mm-hmm. i'm just working on my stuff mm-hmm. that's sort of like when this it seems like when things happen more. totally totally completely agree i think that you can destroy something by wanting it too much yes very easily yes so yeah that's something i talk about like fairly often in terms of wanting to have a child because mm-hmm. i'm trying to get pregnant i'm doing ivf and i think back on like why didn't i why wasn't I more proactive about this when I was younger? Like, I know it shouldn't be a surprise that it's hard to get pregnant as you get older. But I just, in, on, in my guts, I was like, if I want this to happen too bad, it's, I'm going to push it away. Right. I think that, I don't know that 
that was true, but that was my belief. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, it'll just work out when it's time to work out. And right. now I'm like, it's well, <laughs> happening a little bit differently than I expected. Right. I mean, yeah, they're, I feel the same way. I mean, you put, you still put time limits on the how, being chill about it. Right. But yeah. Um, okay. So you said that you went to college late. Yeah. When did you go to college? I didn't start college until I was 23. What were you doing in the interim? In between graduating from high school and starting college, I lived in England on and off for a few years. Um, because basically when I, I barely graduated from high school because all I did was read fanzines and write fanzines and listen to <laughs> records constantly and oh, never right. did homework. You have have or had a zine, right? Yeah, I still do it. But like that's all I did in high school for mm-hmm. sure. And so I barely graduated from high school. And then my, I just told my mom, I was like, look, it, please don't make me go to college because 100% I'll fail out like i'm not ready to just go straight back to co- to school so um a friend of mine one of my best friends lives in england in manchester and so i went to and i had spent summers with him previously um did you guys meet through being pen pals or something it's funny that you say that because i did have pen pals like all over the world <laughs> due to zines but no he okay a girl i went to high school with in atlanta her she was from manchester <clears throat> she moved to atlanta when she was like five mm-hmm. and so her cousin this is this guy. He would come visit every summer and he's the raddest. Like we got along so well. So I started, I think it was my junior year. He would come for like part of the summer and then I'd go back with him for the rest of the summer. So I did that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated from high school, I was just like, and I, so I'd met his parents and everything and they're the amazing. They're like my second set of parents. And so he was like, you can just come live at my house. And so I just kind of crashed at his house and I was there. Like my mom came over to meet his parents because she was like, I need to meet these people if you're going to go stay there that long. Right. And they got along great and he would come to Atlanta and stay at my house. And so my mom already knew him. So I just kind of did that. Did and you work there? I did not work there because what I did is I had all of these like, you can only legally trust me because I try. I was like, I just want to live in England. <laughs> I'm the most embarrassing Anglophile in the world. But you can't, at the time, you couldn't go there for more than six months, like, Mm -hmm. without, you know, whatever, work visa or something. And so when I would go to customs, I would go live there for, like, three or four months. I would come back home to Atlanta for, like, a month and just get, like, a shitty telemarketing job or Mm -hmm. something. And I was still living with my parents at the time, so I had, like, no bills. So I'd come home, work that terrible job for, like, a month straight, save all that money, quit it, go back to England for, like, four or five months, come back. So I did that for, like, three years, where I would just go there, run out of money. What were you doing there? Hanging out? Kicking it. (laughs) Fully straight up chilling at my friend's parents' house because I couldn't legally work there. So I would have all that money. I would be living at their house for free. And then I would just follow bands around. And it's easy to train hop through Europe and stuff like that. So I just seriously was just kicking it. I mean, it was the raddest time my entire life. And then finally, my friend Neil that I was living with, he started school. Like he was like, well, I'm going to go to university now. So and then my mom was like, yo, you're grown as hell. Like, you need to come get your shit out of my house. You got to move out. <laughs> like, fully Southern tough love. Because by that time, that I was like 21. You? No, she was right. I was like, you're right. So I came home. Yeah, I was 20 or 21. She's like, you got to move out. And I moved out. I got an apartment in Atlanta with my friend Millie. And then I got a job at Mindspring, which I don't know if you got. It was in Atlanta. The, was it, it a was web bought, company? Yes. And then it was bought by Earthlink. But I worked at it when it was Mindspring. I got a job there. And um, I worked a day job, like just straight up corporate day job at the Mindspring place for like two years. 
Did you have an English accent at this point? Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't have an, I didn't come back with a Madonna style accent, but I did come back saying like cheers every other word or whatever. <laughs> like there were certain words where right. my friends were like, okay, come on. <laughs> um, and then they, and then I think that was when my mom was like, you got to go to college now. Like you're 23, like go to college. And then I went to college. Where'd you go? Georgia State University in downtown Atlanta. Mm. Yeah. Were you and Neil romantically involved? No, I was desperately in love with him the entire time, but no, we, he, he, I, that is crazy that you asked me that because, oh my God, the memories. Yeah. <laughs> in love with him from the second I met him and he's the most wonderful person in the world. His parents, most wonderful people, his sister, like, oh my God, I love them so much. And we did toy though. So I just had like unrequited crush on this guy forever and ever. And he's like a super hot guy. Like where you're like, of course you have a crush on him. So does everybody who ever meets him. <laughs> um, and we talked. I think I'm developing feelings for him. <laughs> we talked about getting like fake married. Like when I actually was starting oh, to leave. so you could stay there? Yes, because he loves the state. He loves Atlanta. So he's like, why don't we get fake married? Oh my God. And How I was exciting on for board. someone in love with him. Yeah. But then... He went to, and I, but in my uh, head did too. Did he meet someone? Yes. Oh, Neil. So that was the thing is like in my head, I was like, okay, we're going to get fake married, but then he's going to fall in real love with me and this sure. is totally going to work out. It's and a then great plan. he went to school and even when I came home, we talked all the time and he was like, yeah, he called me one day and was like, oh, I met somebody mm. who he is married to now and has three kids with. Wow. And was that heartbreaking for you? Oh my, oh my God. The like was worst. that part of the reason that you were spending so much time there? Cause you're just waiting for this to turn into a relationship. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, like in secretly, probably yes, that was part of it. But like, I mean, I had a blast regardless and I had other friends that lived there mm. as well. Yeah. But, no, I don't mean to paint a picture of you as like desperado here. I'm just saying definitely if it was were part me, of it. That's for sure. Definitely would have been. Yeah. Part of it too. And because he's just such a wonderful person and he's the best dude. So yeah, and we hung out all the time, and of course, I was like, "He's gonna totally fall in love with me." But no, he's married to that lady now. Did you ever tell him how you feel felt? I mean, God, I, I'm trying to remember. I know I was never like I'm in love with you, but like I feel like, I mean, there were. I think we made out once when I was there, but it didn't take. <laughs> it didn't take, <laughs> and also I I feel like I tried to. Not play it cool, but I didn't... Yeah, you don't want to just go, oh my God, I'm totally in love with you, so... Well, especially if you're living there. Yeah, and yeah. I was like living there with his parents and everything. Right. Um, yeah, there were nights where I feel like it was... You know, it was like, you know what's going on here, dude. Mm. Like, you, how can you not know I'm desperately in love with you? But I never said it in those words or something. And we had we had quite a traditional... I mean, looking back, it was romantic in its own way because we used to write each other pages and pages of like handwritten letters mm-hmm. and you know, used to, uh, at that time, like have to go buy phone cards to like call each other and stuff. Um, but he's still one of my dearest friends. I mean, we still talk now. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go to England next month and like, I haven't met his kids yet. So I'm going to like go meet his kids and his parents are the greatest. Like we still talk on Facebook and stuff, Mm. but no, we never, like he was never my boyfriend or anything like that. Like not even close. So you went, you came back, Mm -hmm. went to Georgia state, Mm -hmm. which major in? journalism and sociology was is it a big school i don't think i don't know like was it weird being older than oh for sure oh yeah yeah yeah. oh yeah small enough that it was you stuck out a little bit. yeah 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 for sure um and then what happened were you already into comedy at this point oh i was always yeah 
I've been obsessed with Bob Odenkirk for as long as I can remember. Like, he's my number one. I think he's the funniest person who ever lived. And, like, I remember... But this whole time, I was super obsessed with... Like, we... My Nana and Granddaddy, who live in Savannah... I spent so many summers there as a kid, especially because I didn't like my mean stepdad. So I was like, can I just go stay in Savannah for the whole summer with two people who will let me do literally anything <laughs> I want to do? Uh, so I was always watching their cable. So I was watching like the Ha channel, you know, even before it was Comedy Central mm-hmm. and constantly watching the A-list and short attention span theater and stand up, stand up and like constantly obsessed with it. Um, so yeah. And I was upset. I used to watch Eddie Murphy. Like my Nana... And granddaddy had HBO and I'd watch like Raw and Delirious and stuff. And I was like, eight. Like I <laughs> so shouldn't have been, I had zero supervision. Did you want to be a stand-up from a young age? Was that the aspiration? A hundred percent. But it was a sort of thing where it never seemed like a real job you could have. Mm-hmm. Like in my head, I was like, yeah, I would definitely do that. But it's not, a, that's a fake thing. And I grew up with parents. I mean, my mom's an accountant. My stepdad's an engineer. Like they're very much like... They're not arty people in any way, shape, or form, and and they're like, you you got to pay your bill, do what you got to just pay your bills. So work in an office, like they, it was never chase your dreams, like mm-hmm. never, ever, ever. Which sounds they're not dicks. It's just like that's not even in their realm, right? It, it was just like make sure whatever you do, you get insurance. Like you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> right. do they have a good four hundred one k? Then do it. So do, do you wish they had been more like pursue your dreams? No, I think it was a good enough balance that it wasn't that I have enough responsibility ingrained in me that I'm not like, that sounds terrible. I'm not, you know, I was never a person. I always, I paid my bills. I knew I had to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to, I like, I always got my shit done. Yeah. And I know I grew up a lot of people who didn't. So I'm glad I had parents that did make sure I had got my shit done. Right. If that makes sense. So what did you do after graduating college? I moved to Los Angeles two days after graduating wow. from college. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I knew, and it was to be specifically around comedy. Because mm-hmm. I was like as obsessed with comedy as I was like music or whatever. And I saw Bob Odenkirk on the A-list and I was 12 years old. And he was doing that Lincoln, Lincoln, I've been thinking bit. And I was like, uh, this is, I, what the fuck is this? It's amazing. It's blowing my mind. Because up until that point, I thought stand up, you know, in the 80s, it was like, brick wall blazer right airplane food guys mm-hmm. which a lot of that is rad but i thought that's what it was and so when i saw bob odenkirk do something weird i'm like oh you can do weird shit with this and then that's when i was like oh yeah i'm so into it and then i followed everything he ever did you know saturday Night live ben stiller like whatever he ever wrote on i was like i gotta watch this have you met him i have i've met him enough to where he like sort of knows who i am and i'm just like oh, you're the greatest person he's the greatest <laughs> he's the greatest dude just the greatest dude um so yeah, I'm, I moved here essentially to see more comedy because I, gra- I graduated with a journalism degree. So I was like, I'll go work at a magazine or something. I was a copy editor. But then I was like, in LA, I'll be able to see. LA is a place where Bob Odenkirk will do a drop in. Mm-hmm. I got to live there. <laughs> and so when I moved here, I went to UCB like four nights a week. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a copy editor. I got really lucky. Like within a month or two of moving here, I got a job being a copy editor. Where? At this magazine, this health magazine, it was super boring. But everybody I worked with was really fun. Mm-hmm. But the magazine, it was a health and fitness magazine for old people, for like senior citizens. <laughs> and so the copy that I was editing was super boring, but it was a great job. So I got that. And then I would just go to the UCB constantly. 
And then crazily, one of the very first people I met moving here was Paul Tompkins. Oh, really? Like How? totally accidentally. Like he was just outside of the UCB. Well, he th- he came up to me. I just saw him all the time at shows. And there was one show afterward. I was waiting in line for the bathroom and he came up and gave me a huge hug. And I was like, hi. Like I was just like, totally, dude. And he was like, oh my God, you look exactly like my friend. Like he was genuinely embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's cool. I thought you just hugged all your fans. <laughs> And then because that happened, the next time I saw him at UCB, it became like a joke and he would just come up and hug me. I'm like, hey. And then we ended up like talking and then just in the way that I he would let me ask him about comedy uh-huh. and like advice about it. And we just had a rapport. I mean, we weren't like instant best friends. Just like I'd see him and he'd be like, how's it going? And I would ask him things. And then, you know, I told him when I started doing stand up and he was like, well, if you ever need advice, like, let me know. And I was like, okay, funniest dude working today. I'll let you know. <laughs> Did you ever ask um, him for advice? For sure. Oh, for <laughs> sure. I mean, he's super generous and awesome. But yeah, so I didn't start until I moved out of here. Did you start with open mics? Oh, yeah. Uh, the first open mic I did was this place in Culver City. It was, I lived here for... how I've been doing comedy for eight years. So I lived here for like two years before I started. Mm-hmm. Because I would see people like Paul. And you see that and you get like... It's this exact 50-50 of inspiration. 50% inspiration and 50 percent, i'll never be that good why should i even bother it was always like that seeing people like dana it was just like i'm never gonna be that guy why should i even do it <laughs> but then you'd see enough people where you're like well i'm better than that guy though mm-hmm. you know what i mean so so you're working at the magazine and doing stand-up um did you was the first job you took after the magazine in entertainment or did you work other jobs before yeah the, after the magazine the magazine folded and then I got a job at MTV News. I was a copy editor at oh, MTV cool. News, How which was, was rad. And it was funny because the guy, uh, Robert's the guy who hired me, he was the best. He gave that I'll always remember he's the first person to give me my first cool job. And I brought one of my zines to the interview. And I was like, I've been writing about music since I was like 14. Boom. Like acting like I'm Lester Bangs or some shit. But he was like, yeah, this is cool. Like you're totally Wait, hired. what was Robert's last name? Robert Mancini. I totally know that name. Yeah, he's he does something at Bravo now. He's like a big shit at Bravo. Yes, I know that name. Do you know him? He's he's rad. He's rad. And he was so cool to me in the interview. And he just was like, yeah, you totally have the job. So yeah, I was a copy editor there for like two years. I got to email with Kurt Loader and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was great. And then, then what was your next job after that? Chelsea Lately. I mean, I, I'm the luckiest person who ever lived. Because <laughs> I also met, and that's all thanks to Jen Kirkman. And I met her at a Morrissey show or something. I met her before I started doing comedy in a Morrissey context. Same with Tom Lennon. And we talked about that at first. And then I obviously would see her when I started doing comedy. And then she emailed me and was like, Hey, she was working there and there. She was like, they literally just now said they're looking for a writer's assistant. Like send me your resume. You'll be the very first one they see. And I was like the first resume they Mm -hmm. saw. And so it's all thanks to her that I got that job. And were you a writer's assistant the whole time or did you? Yeah, I was entitled the whole time. But like I I worked there for four years. So it's like as it went on, like they let me be on the panel more and more and let me write more and more Mm -hmm. stuff. So, yeah. How was your experience there? Because I have heard mixed things about what that was like. Uh, Yeah. I don't know what I can and can't say. Chelsea herself, lovely. Like, never was nothing but lovely to me. Mm-hmm. They had two EPs who were not my favorite dudes and were not chill <laughs> and are not cool people. So working for them wasn't awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wouldn't do it again if they were involved. 
but like she was always fine. She was great. She would have like parties at her house for us and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to, there's a couple things I want to ask about. One of my favorite things about looking at your Instagram is discovering that you were not always this super stylish, svelte, put together <laughs> person that you are now. I, you can say it. I was a very ugly child. That's not what I mean to you say. You can say that's it. That's not though. what I mean to say. What I mean is you're like lovably dorky <laughs> and a little chunkier. And by oh, the way, sure. I was a lot chunkier and very frizzy. And right. I was a different person in the past. Um, when did the transformation happen? Ah, um, I don't know. I don't really. It was never. I mean, or you maybe know. you were stylish back then. Mm-mm. The photos you, 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 you post photos that look uh, different. I was in no way stylish, but I was definitely like war crazy shit on purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had the classic glasses, braces combo. You know, I shaved off my widow's peak uh, in sixth grade. That was gnarly. I had weird haircuts, but I was, I also grew up in like 120 minutes time. So like I very much dressed like the deal sisters. I wore like (laughs) Doc Martens. Were you on on politically incorrect? I was on Tough Crowd. Yes. What was and when they made fun of me? That I was in you New York. A photo of that. So I. What yeah. was that? Well, because I was in New York to see Morrissey. Mm-hmm. This is when I was in college. I was probably like twenty three, and I was there already to see Morrissey. And then we had a day off, and I went. And I they I love Colin Quinn. I love Colin Quinn. I can't overstate that enough because I was super into remote control too. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with remote control. And crazily, Ken Ober, rest in peace, worked on Tough Crowd. Because I remember going there, he was the guy like who miked me, and I was like, "Oh my god, you're Ken Ober." Um, you really are the biggest fan. I am. I'm That's totally cool. yeah. So I went to see it just to be in the studio audience. Mm-hmm. But I they have I knew what that segment was. I don't know what the segment is. Oh well, they it was like on once a week they had this segment called "Size Me Up," where the com- the comedians would like sit in a panel and basically clown on a person they picked out of the audience. So I was very familiar with it. So when a lady, I was waiting in line to get in and a lady came over and was like, hey, can I talk to you? And I was like, I know what you're going to ask me. Like, I just knew it. And so I was like, yeah, I'll totally do it. And so it was a thing where I stood there and they just all made fun of me. (laughs) How was that? It was fine. It was totally funny. It was stuff I'd already heard a million times because I was wearing my glasses. So they're like Lisa Loeb, Janine Garofalo. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Do better, guys. I hear this every day in college. (laughs) Um, It was great. And I got to meet Colin Quinn and he's the best and... It was funny, but oh, I was for sure at minimum 30 pounds heavier then. Uh-huh. Minimum. Did you, how did you take it off? I, well, I didn't, um, I was in college. Like, oh yeah, that's true. That's I finished college. college in three years instead of four because I was older and I was mm-hmm. like, I don't, it was not a social thing for me at all. It was like, go to class, go home, get out of here. And I went through summers. So I just, for three straight years, all I did was eat and write papers with zero physical activity. So I by the time I moved here, I just since I wasn't doing that anymore, it just kind of I didn't like just start fucking blasting my delts or whatever. <laughs> like it just kind of happened. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, let's take some questions that people sent in over Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our Okay. TSDCX says, has she sworn off marriage after her divorce or is her faith in love still devout? <laughs> First of all, thank you for that uh, Smith lyric. Um, I I did get that reference. I haven't, question mark. When did you get, when, how long were you married? 
I was married for five years while I was in college. Mm-hmm. I moved here with my ex-husband. Um, whose birthday is tomorrow? I got to get him a present. After. We're still dear. He's great. He's also a super great dude, but it didn't work. Um, I don't know if I want to get married again, to be honest. I don't know, but I'm not, but not adamantly like, fuck marriage. I just right. like, don't know, which no one knows until you meet the right person or whatever. But my faith and love is still devout. Sure. Do, let's see. I'm trying to figure out how to I almost feel like if I get married again, I kind of don't want it to be legal. Like, I feel like I go, hey, we can have a wedding mm-hmm. and we'll have a party, but let's not sign papers. Right. Like, l- we can just be married and say we're married because the legal part of it was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So here's the question I'm trying to articulate. Do you feel like it was a mismatch or do you feel like getting married was the right decision and it you just grew apart or it didn't work out? It was a mismatch because it was, I was so young. We were both so young and he objectively is a wonderful human being. But when I was younger, I think I, I, I'm very loud and boisterous and talkative and, um, overwhelming (laughs) i mean i am i'm like kind of a hyper chatty person and i he's very quiet and reserved and shy and i think at the time i was like oh we'll we'll be such a good balance we're gonna balance each other out Mm. and it does not work i was like the older i get the more i'm like oh i do need somebody similar to me i can't have somebody i'm gonna steamroll over that's not gonna work out for anybody yeah in a yeah because i'm very social and he's very not and so like we ended up not really hanging out that much because he just didn't want to and that would frustrate me and you know even when we would go out like he just doesn't talk a lot by nature and I do and so I would I just always felt like I'd have to be nudging him like talk to people when it's like he should he just doesn't want it's not wrong what he's doing isn't wrong it's It's just different and so yeah it just kind of got to a point where it was like yeah we're not a good match so Ulysses Atkins says Ulysses Atkins sorry uh, I have a question for April. Does she miss Savannah? And has she ever been to a concert in Forsyth Park? In, is that in? No, I've the only concert I went to at Savannah was probably my first. My uncle took me to see Hank Williams Jr., mm-hmm. aka Bocephus, uh, at the Savannah Civic Center when I was like seven or eight. I love Savannah. I just went. My granddaddy died a couple of months ago, and I went to go hang out with my nana. And I just went by myself, and we hung out and. It was great. My my nana still lives in the same house. She's lived in for like 60 years. And there are parts of Savannah that are really lovely. There are parts that are terrifying. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, isn't it like the most second haunt, like the second most haunted city besides oh, right. New Orleans or something? It's very creepy in a very yeah, 1700s. Garden of Good and Evil. Isn't yes. that Savannah? My mom knows people in that book. Mm. Like she knows some of the characters in real life. Um but yeah, so I do love it and it is pretty and I love the beach and everything, but it is very haunted. And are you, there's, there were a lot of questions, well, a few questions that came in about things that are haunted. We'll wait till we get to those. Okay. Um, Harmony Barnard says, who is her favorite guest star on Saved by the Bell? This is tough. That's tough. I mean, that's like, who's your favorite guest star on Facts? Are you going to go Clooney on that? No, I can't answer and I refuse to. Yeah, it's hard, <laughs> right? It's very hard. I mean, I think it's I maybe I guess Tori Spelling because her playing Violet Bickers, her playing like a nerdy mm-hmm. girl when like the next day she was supposed to be like a hot girl. She, go, she went out with Screech, right? Yes. That was her, okay. She was Screech's girlfriend. I didn't even know that I knew that. Ah, uh, yeah. So I guess maybe her, but like, I don't know. I guess her. It's tough. 
That works. Le- <laughs> Leanne Ward wants to know, how is she able to stay friends with her exes? Impressive. Um, There's not that many of them, first of all. <laughs> and I don't know, because I think we just had... I'm not friends with one of them now, because I found out after the fact he was cheating on me the whole time. So, oh, wow. fuck that guy. But he's the only one I'm not really friends with. I don't know. How'd be- you find out? Ha! I talk about this on stage because it's the most unbelievable story. But it started to unravel because a girl saw me open for Chris at Bonnaroo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Google, she didn't know who I was. So got home and Googled me and a picture of me and the guy came up. And she emailed me and was like, are you dating this guy? And Because she's like, I'm dating this guy. Oh, he. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't honest with either of you. No. And then we found out about two other girls in the span of like a week. It was crazy. It's the craziest, most movie-esque story in the world. So I don't talk to that. We were friends, me and right. that guy up until that point. And now I'm like, of course, you're the worst person ever. But, um. I don't know. I think I haven't really had a super terrible breakup yet. I'm too lucky. I don't date a lot, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, and I only have had like long-term relationships and I don't like jerks, which sounds fun. I'm not even being funny, but like I have zero interest in like bad boys or jerks or whatever. Like I've only dated like really solid, nice dudes. Mm-hmm. And that I only got cheated on or whatever that once. The other times they ended it and it was not necessarily mutual, but times where it was obvious that like yeah you're a good solid person but like you just shouldn't be dating me so there's never been a thing where it ended badly so badly that we like never talked or anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're lucky i am like beyond like that's also a reason i don't date that much though because i'm like you don't there's a lot of terrible (laughs) dudes in the world that i don't i'm like i'm i'm going for quality over quantity yeah so Jovial Jackie says, I want to know some behind the scenes info about how bizarro it must have been to help interview MPG, Mark Paul Gosler, I'm assuming, on Nerdist. It was very bizarre. Okay, that happened because Chris texted me like an hour before it was supposed to happen. And he's like, hey, do you want to come out and hang out on the podcast? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, by the way, it's Mark Paul. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like, what? And then when I got there, I had met him a couple of times in passing Mm because he had gone to like comedy shows. But in my head, each of those times I met him, first of all, in my head, I'm going, don't call him Zach Morris. Don't call him Zach Morris. And I was freaking out. But he didn't pick up on it because when I got there, he's like, oh, yeah, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, how's it going? Like, I didn't realize he was like, yeah, we kind of know each other. So he was really cool. And I played it cool. But then halfway through the episode, Chris was like, oh, so, you know, April's totally obsessed with you, right? (laughs) And he was like, really? And I was like, yes. And then that's when it all came out where I was like, I have a podcast dedicated to, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> I, and he was cool about it though. Like he, then he started messing with me in the way that he was like, oh, so you're like freaking out right now, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and then he even said something like, okay, well, hypothetically, like say we went on a date together and I was like, tell me more. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was like, how would you act then? Would you act like you didn't know who I was? And all this, and I was like, well, yeah, I'm. I'm being pretty cool right now, right? Like, you don't know that inside I'm flipping out. But yeah, he was great. And he's still super hot, has aged very well. Yeah. How did you and Chris meet? I can't remember. I mean, I think it was just at like a show or a party or something. Honestly, when we first started hanging out, he's not going to care if I... They're still friends. Speaking of being friends with your exes, Jana Varney, his ex, is like one of my dearest friends mm. in the world. She's so amazing. And so, honestly, I feel like at first it was like, oh, that's that's Janet's boyfriend. Like, it wasn't even, like, Chris Hardwick. Like, you know what I mean? Right. And so I was just at their house a lot, hanging out with Janet, and, like, he'd be there. But And we always had a great time. But then I, we 
I ran into him. We started hanging out a couple of years ago, like nonstop when we just like ran into some, each other somewhere in that classic LA way where like we should hang out again. And then, but we actually did. So mm-hmm. then we just like started hanging out like every single day. Um, oh, uh, TSDCX also says personal question. When did she start calling her mom by her first name? Donna, I don't. I don't do that in real life at all. I only do that for state. Like I never, my mom would, she would be so disappointed in me if I tried to do that. Um, So it's only for comedic effect. Mitch Kappa says, is there another show you have the history with to give the go Bayside treatment or a show you wish someone else would? There's really not. There's no show I have memorized up and down like I do that show. There's no show that I watched every single day like i watched that show right i mean i guess mr show no one would you can't why would you bother to try to make commentary about the greatest comedy <laughs> you're not going to be out funny like but if as far as things that are memorized mr show definitely i mean i've seen all those eight trillion times but i can't imagine anybody trying to out funny it mm-hmm. by doing a podcast about it no Rafael Castaneda says, I may be the only Mexican who has never heard a Morrissey song. <laughs> Where should I start? Oh my God. That is the sophiest of choices. <laughs> I really truly have no idea. I mean, like song like I don't even know. You're asking me a tough question. I mean, I would say the Smiths first. I think I think more people like the Smiths more than they like Morrissey solo. My favorite—I'll answer you this way: my favorite Smiths record is "Meat Is Murder." That's my favorite Smiths album, and then my favorite Morrissey solo album is "Vauxhall and I." So there you go, dude. If those mean anything to you, I would check with those first. There you go. All right, and this is the last one. Not Brent says it's not so much a question as it is her viewpoint on feet and Civil War ghosts. I don't like either one of them at all. I think feet are disgusting. I never want to see people's bare feet. We got to be minimum a year deep into our relationship before I see your feet. I hate feet. I think they're gross. The irony of this is I do get pedicures, but that's to make mine less gross Mm -hmm. in the event that someone should see them. But I don't like touching my own feet. I certainly don't want to touch anyone else's feet. And the idea of getting like, oh my God, that's the, the gr- I don't care how crazy a porn is. When somebody starts licking toes, that's when I'm like, yeah. no, you've crossed a line. Right. It takes you right out of it. Totally. <laughs> like, a dude, has a dude ever done, if a dude I don't, ever I did that to me. I wouldn't want a dude to do that never. to me. A dude's never done it to me. And even I, mean, I know close. where my feet have been. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, don't put that in your mouth. Yeah. That is disgusting. So I just think they're really gross. And so unless he meets me at the shower door. Ah, like, but even then, even then I'm not I, on no, board. I think I'd be like, <laughs> yeah kick him in the face i and i don't find it like a, that's not a turn i would be like no are you done yet like i just would be like Ugh. and civil war ghosts are the scariest possible things in the world like i'm terrified of ghosts in general but growing up in the south like civil war ghosts are super scary it's a real possibility where my parents live have you seen the scariest movie ever probably not the scariest but it scared the shit out of me skeleton key no. That has some... Oh, that's like voodoo. Isn't that like yes. New Orleans? Oh, yeah. Wrong place. But still. Even still, New Orleans is like haunted as shit. Yes. Yeah. But it has... Um, They're not Civil War per se. Right. But, uh, but Civil War era supernatural shit is happening. For Like to me, look, and this could be an, another nine hour podcast about how I feel about ghosts, but they're terrifying. I'm not into them. But, I had a, But you believe in them? That's the thing is I'm 
conflicted. I'm it's like funny. agnostic when it comes to ghosts. Yeah, I I don't believe in any of that, and yet the supernatural stuff is what scares me the most. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, that my mom makes fun of me all the time about that because I don't. I'm not scared of any real. Th- I'll go walk around a strange city by myself at night, and no, my mom's I'm afraid like of monsters, pretty much. Yes, <laughs> and I don't my believe mom in will them. go. You could get raped or mugged, but you're more scared of like the boogeyman in your closet. And I'm like, That's yeah, I am. Scarier, yeah, totally. And I think I've never seen a ghost. Fucking knock on all the wood in the world that it never <laughs> happens. But it's the sort of thing where I'm like, the hu- there are things the human mind can't really comprehend. Mm-hmm. And who am I to say definitely whether or not they're a ghost? I don't know that. I feel so, like you're refusing to rule on it because you don't want to anger them. That could be I part of it for sure. For sure. <laughs> They'll be like, how dare you say I don't exist right. and I'll show up in my room tonight. <laughs> but there's something specific about period ghosts, like where it's Victorian or civil. Like, yeah, if a guy there's that's profoundly scary. Like if a guy been holding a, a grudge for 200 years, thank you. Thank you. You why are you are my best friend? <laughs> you get it all because civil war ghosts. Who's more pissed off than dudes who lost the Civil War? Right. Who is angrier than that? And they're haunting the South. Mm-hmm. And just the idea. Yeah, I mean, if a, a ghost in a t-shirt and jeans is already scary enough, but a ghost in a Civil War uniform? Super scary. Nothing is scarier than that. Right. I I agree with you. Yes. Except a ghost of a Victorian woman in a nightgown. Or a, Vic- a child. Oh, like that movie Esther? Yeah, the ghost that I didn't see, but I read and I know the whole story. Dude, a Victorian child in like a Victorian nightgown. Oh my God. So very creepy. Yeah. There's creepy sounds <laughs> happening. All right, let's go back to the pedicures for a moment. Because ah! I have recently started getting them too. Um, I hate it though. I hate the experience of getting a pedicure. I actually don't like the whole experience of getting a pedicure or a manicure. I do it more often now right. than I used to, which is I used to never do it. But I don't the sensation of it, the the people fussing over my cuticles and right. and clipping things and rubbing things and I just hate it. I hate it for different reasons. I I okay, I, I find it, it physically uncomfortable. I have class guilt. Okay. I have very much class and white guilt because I hate feet so much and my I don't want to touch my own. I don't want to clip my own toenails. I don't want to be down there any yeah. longer than I need to be. And so I'm like, I'll pay somebody to do it. But then that's like, I'm paying someone to touch my feet. Yeah, I'm a monster. I'm a one percenter. Especially when I... Cause I so I tip very good. Just FYI, everyone. I tip like 200% on pedicures. I do that too. It's guilt tipping. Because what I've heard is like the worst job at the manicure salon is pedicures. Have I'm you like, seen oh, some of the people? Has, yeah. Like I've sat next to people where I'm like your pedicure should cost a thousand dollars like there's no way you you should be here you shouldn't ever take your socks off oh my god i've seen some of the gnarliest feet but wait now do you do your own nails because i've noticed some nail art popping up i do i taught it's funny that we're talking about this because i do still pay for pedicures but i taught myself how to paint my own nails how a lot of patience. It's a lot of gal chat. A, a lot of patience. And also when Chelsea lately ended, when that show ended, I was like, well, I got to save money. I used to get my nails done every Sunday. Oh, wow. Manny and Petty. And then when that ended, I was like, I can't afford to do that anymore. So I taught myself how to paint my nails. And it did take a lot of patience. But once you get the hang of it, it's I can do it in my sleep now. Now, gal chat. Where are you with gel <laughs> manicures? I've never done one. Mm. Because everybody I know who has... They say it peels their nails off. It does. Yeah, I'm too scared. 
it's pretty amazing in that you walk out of there and you're like, I can peel open anything right now because my nails are completely dry and strong as shit. And they make your, it makes your nails grow out because, um, because your nails are so strong, but then after you, so I, all of a sudden my nails were long and they hadn't been long in forever. Uh, but then my nails started getting really weak and I didn't like the way they removed it. And I didn't, I actually have a gel manic. So I was talking, I can't, I'm so going deep into the brow chat thing. <laughs> I, love I was it. talking to someone a few weeks ago and I, we were talking about manicures and I said, yeah, I was doing the gel manicures, but, um, I don't like the way they re- have to remove it because they file it. It's just, it's, it's a very violent process. It feels like. And she said, um, I don't let them remove it. She just lets it grow out. And then she buys the same color in a non-gel and just like paints over it. But then won't her nails be like... Have a ridge? Yeah. She said that she like files that down and makes it all smooth. So that's my new plan. Okay. I'm going to die with this gel manicure on. It's already been a while. It's kind of growing out. Well, see, I will say the thing about painting your own nails is it alleviates the sort of... Like if this chips, I don't care. It costs zero dollars to paint them again. Right. That was my thing is if it chipped, I would be like, this, I just paid $20 for this and I would get so mad. But now I just paint them like every other day because I'm like, who cares? I'm not paying anybody to do it. It's free. One last question. What kind yes. of nail polish remover do you use? Because sometimes I use straight acetone and that yes. is very abrasive, but it actually gets the color off it does versus get it off. feeling like I'm just spreading color I'll, around. I'll tell you the secret of life right now. Please. Cuticle oil. You I put cuticle have. oil on your hands all day, every day. All day, every day. It's the best. It makes... So the acetone, it doesn't matter if it dries out from acetone, but also it makes your nails super hard because it soaks into your actual fingernail. Where did you get this cuticle oil? Or is there a certain type you recommend? Oh, no. I try. How Girl Chat's going to get deep. Gal Chat. Because I get things like Ipsy and stuff. Like I get Birchbox. Oh. And I got one. You can get it in that stuff. But you can get it it from like Sally Hansen or whatever, Mm -hmm. like at the drugstore. But you just put that on all day. And it also makes your hands look good and soft. Do you leave greasy stains? All I do. The place? <laughs> I totally do. That's but anytime I'm watching TV, like I always do that. So do that because it'll make your nails really tough. All right. And they won't peel as much. Sold. Let's do just me or everyone. All right. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Right. Beth Weiss says, when I barely make it through a yellow light, I look back to see if anyone followed. If they did, I judge them for running a red. I don't do that. I've never done that. I think I'm going to start. <laughs> I do that, but I'm grateful to them because they've, if there's a cop, they're going to get the one that's going to get caught. So that's I'm, true. I'm happy. Do you guys feel like I feel, which is when you're making a left turn in LA and there's no actual left turn arrow uh-huh. you pretty much know you're not gonna be able to go till it turns until red. it red of course I hate that that was the number when I moved here from Atlanta I couldn't every light in Atlanta has a left turn signal every single one of them so that was the main when I moved here I was like I don't understand how this is possible yeah and then if I'm I'm always the person turning on a red and hoping I don't get hit right uh and then if I'm the person, though, on the other side going straight, I'm angry at the me. Right. Who's like, 
hey jackass oh I <laughs> i'm s- going now i got t-boned once and oh, so really? now i'm super cautious going through red lights the exact i was turning left and a guy t-boned the shit out of me jeez so now Who was found at fault this is a long story kind of no one it was the weirdest thing because that guy was he was legit going like 90 miles an hour but i was running a red light mm-hmm. to take the left but he he was going so fast that he couldn't even come to a stop he was like half a mile down the road until he stopped jeez so when the i never even saw met the guy or anything the cops came and the cop we exchanged information through the cops were you okay um i had to go to the chiropractor like i had a neck thing um but yeah so i never talked to the guy or whatever but it turned out i i'm trying to remember it was just a crazy story because we we changed information his insurance called me first and they were trying to be weirdly cagey and i was like i'm not gonna talk to anybody until i talk to my insurance Mm -hmm. because but the cop i remember the cop telling me like well you did run the red light but the cop went he was speeding he was like definitely speeding it's like you were both a little bit at fault yeah but the cop was even like i think it's more your fault Oh, and really? I was like, really? And he's like, I think so. And I love that the cops like, I think, but he I'm was. not sure. He kind of was. And then it ended up being like, I looked up the kid on Facebook. Because his, yeah, his insurance was like kind of weirdly trying to bully me or something. Mm-hmm. And I was standing my ground because I was like, dude. And I had a witness. Like three people came up to me and they were like, if you want witnesses, we'll be your witnesses. Because that guy was going insanely fast. Nice. So I traded emails with all these strangers and they helped me. But I looked this kid up on Facebook. Kid, for real. He was like 20, 21. He posted pictures of the thing and said something like third car this year or whatever. What an idiot. So I sent screen grabs to my insurance because I was like, oh, apparently this guy gets in a wreck like every day. <laughs> I think it was like some rich kid whose yeah. parents just like keep buying him cars when he wrecks them. And he even posted he posted a status update that was like he was about to go on a road trip. He was like about to go on a road trip, making sure to smoke weed on the way. Like that was literally like I am smoking weed while oh I'm driving. <laughs> so I was like, have fun, dude. So like, <laughs> I didn't I was not at fault nice. because his insurance company after that were like, we'll give you money. <laughs> Did you have to get a new car? Yeah. Um, Mona Z says, lettuce and tomato make any sandwich 10 times better. Just me or everyone. I f- occasionally a, a, a JMO that's what I refer to just me or everyone's as will come in where it's like oh come on you know that's everyone yeah I agree I think that's my I agree there are people out there who don't want any of that stuff in their sandwich for the most part I think lettuce and tomato I'm would all, make any it. sandwich 10 times better except for peanut butter and jelly right I agree fully agree Brooke Ullman says whoppers hurt my teeth to bite I love whoppers like the chocolate malt yeah, things. I yeah. love them and also bite them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they're that. Yeah, they she have, mean hurt like. They have a weird like, texture. Yes, that's sometimes. what I'm wanting. It's right. like, like a like fingernails on the yeah. chalkboard kind of thing. I love them. But I love them. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty good. Where are you with Milk Duds? I like Whoppers way more than Milk Duds. Mm. Milk Duds are caramel, right? Yes. That hurts my teeth more because they stick to them. The problem with Milk Duds, it's been a while. But I feel like you get like one that's good, two is good, and suddenly there's four milk duds stuck on the side of your yes. teeth and your mouth is filled with saliva. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I much prefer Whoppers. Romant says, oh, this is a reference to the Thursday show. When Jenna Kim Jones and Alan Moss use get out of here instead of expletives, it's way more effective and cooler than, well, he wrote F King. Oh, that cooler than swearing. I mean, wait. How is that formed in the... Do I think it's not cool to swear? What does he say? Yes. So the way that this is a question for you is, 
whoever chose these really wasn't on her game today. <laughs> need to give Would her, you need a- to give her a talking to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the way that it's like the literally how it's a question for you and then what I'm actually asking. So literally what this person is saying is, would you agree that when Jenna and Alan say get out of here instead of swear, it's more effective? But the question for you is, um, no, there is no question for you. I'm just moving on. Given my behavior today, I think (laughs) that you can tell that I prefer swearing. Right. (laughs) I think I do too. Although I would agree... Jeff, you hear them all the time. When they say get out of here, there's a real strength behind it because we know that they don't swear. Yeah, and they, they mean it. They definitely yeah, mean it. That's true. Yeah. Johnny Pomato says, get depressed when going to art museums. This painting is part of history forever. What the hell have I ever done? 100% feel that way. I mean, that's also when I felt about David, but like when he, di- I was sad because he died and he's amazing and he can't create anything anymore, yada, yada, yada. But and then I go, what am, what am I even doing? You know what I discovered? What am I even bothering? What I discovered happens to me at art museums is I get antsy and want to leave 10 minutes after I really? arrive. It's really, I'm like a Philistine. I don't know what happened because I'm someone who thinks of myself as someone who appreciates art. Right. However, my husband and I went to the Met in New York. We did go on a day that it was really, really crowded, but we were walking around. The painting that I really wanted to see wasn't there. It's in London. I didn't think to look up. Is it still here right. ahead of time? Um, and we walked from room to room and I was like, I can't stand being here and I really want to leave. Sort of the feeling I get when I'm at a mattress store. For some ah, reason I, ah, I'm like, I'm very ah, sleepy and I want to leave. Right. Or sometimes I get this feeling in Target. Maybe there's something about the Met and Target that are similar in that they have no windows. I don't know what it was. It's so like just, casinos, you go in and yeah. you don't know what time it is. And- it was really weird. But And whereas Daniel was like, oh, I could stay here for hours. And I'm like, well, thank God it's closing in an hour. Ah, <laughs> no, I, I enjoy them. I do, but I do. I definitely feel the same way while I stare at it and go, what am I? I think what have my, I ever made? I think of myself as someone who enjoys them. It was my idea to go. Right. I don't know why I was like, <laughs> I can't stand being here the second after we got there. I'm going to blame it on the crowds. <laughs> and also that intense feeling of what the hell have I ever done that I wasn't in touch with, but was clearly part of what was going on. Leanne Ward says, I wish people would stop treating the like button on Facebook as if it's a support button. They are not the same thing. That's true. Especially when people are like, yeah, I'm going through a really hard time or whatever. And then mm. you're like, like, like what? You like that I'm going through a hard I time? I know. Except that if you post about going through a really hard time and then it gets no likes, that feels cold too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That just happened to me. A really good, one of my best friends, his dad just died and he posted mm. and I went to hit the like button and I thought, I, I don't like yeah, that. Yeah, am I liking right. that your dad died? Yeah. So but I, I guess it is just the only way we have in that context to say, I'm here for you yeah. or I... I acknowledge. Yeah. Your... There, should, there should be an, an I understand button. Yes. There should fully, be. Fully. Totally. I mean, I guess you could leave a comment. Yeah. But still. Or do something crazy like call him. But... Like call your friend on the phone. Don't get carried away. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Demian Cordova says, if I'm thinking intently, I look down. Otherwise, I look ahead. Um... I think I'm 50-50 on that. Oh, no. Sorry. While walking, if I'm thinking intently, I look down. Otherwise, I look ahead. I feel like when I'm thinking, I look up. Or maybe that's when I'm lying. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, walking changes the game a little bit. If it's just in general. Yeah. I think I'm 50-50 on it because I think I can do... I can look down sometimes and then sometimes I bet I stare at the wall. Mm-hmm. I think I look... When I'm talking to someone, I think I... If I'm thinking, I think I look up. 
Yeah. Which you're not on television. You're not supposed to do that. I think you're supposed to just make eye contact. Just constantly? Like even well, in between? Well, not scary eye contact, but right. like, like, yeah, like if it's a televised interview or something, it, I think if you're just like looking all around, it can look weird and shifty. Right. For sure. Um, L to the aura says, oh, Laura, you jump up and down when famous people respond to your tweets or retweet you. And not just those from Facts of Life, because Mindy Cohn and I had an exchange, and I was jumping up. Congratulations, uh, dude! You. I also do. I yeah. mean, it depends on who it. Yeah, for sure, I do that. Yeah, even people like you and me, bona fide celebrities. We're not. Immune. I'm not verified, though. I will say, <laughs> oh. I'm an unverified. Sorry, this um, episode is never coming out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, oh, for sure, I do. I mean, like, yeah, it's exciting. Although it's weird because I've I forget. The, what the internet is and what Twitter is in the way that everybody can see everything every second. And so I have tweeted things where I'm kind of like, and I'll never at anybody. I never like tag anybody, mm-hmm. but I'll be like, look at what a dork so-and-so is. And then they'll be like, oh really? And I'm like, oh my God, I mean, you're cool. Who did that happen with? Well, it happened. I was seeing Huey Lewis who rules and he was, you know, shredding on harmonica as he does. And I tweeted like, and it was a joke. Like, I don't give a care about John Popper, but I was like, whatever, John Popper, too bad Huey Lewis crushes you at harmonica or whatever. Did not tag him in any way. Right. And then in like five minutes got a response from John, John Popper. Popper. And I'm like, I didn't even tell, like, who showed you this? You're not even tagged. He's got a search set for his he name. He totally must have a Google alert. So there'd be things like that where I've, I've been like, I'm watching TV and so-and-so looks like a dork. And then either that person or then I'll realize, oh my God, I, I'm friends with a person who's friends with that person. Mm-hmm. No one is safe. God. But that's much more exciting than when that happened to me because I wrote something about some people on Million Dollar Listing and they got in touch. <laughs> that's crazy. But isn't that crazy? It's well, just- I ended up having the guy on my show after that. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so that was cool. But yeah, it, it was. it's funny how it happens, though, because I said something. It was um, Chad Rogers. This was way back. Do you watch Million Dollar no. Listing? Okay. Uh-huh. This is the, He's not on the show anymore. And his girlfriend. And on the show, they each call each other cake. That's their nickname for each other, Cake. Okay. And so I think what I tweeted is, so on Million Dollar Listing, did Chad and his girlfriend each call each other Cake? Is that what's going on? Because right. it's very, it's like, what? Why are you calling each other this? Yeah. The same nickname. Yeah. And then he wrote, yeah, that is what's going on. Oh, see, isn't that so But then weird? I'm like, oh, instead of thinking that he's like vaguely douchey, now I think he's a cool guy. Right. <laughs> and now we're going to be friends. Oh, and then okay. we kind of, I mean, not real friends, but. Was he cool? He was super cool. Okay. So it almost makes you wonder if, if you read something negative about yourself, should you reach out to that person? Because it might turn them around. Right. It turns me around whenever that happens. Don't we live in the weirdest time? Yeah, we live in a fucked up In time. the way that you... I was. I went on a date with a guy that I saw on TV. 100% because I saw him who? on TV. I don't want to say who it is. Okay. He's on Veep. He's rad. He's so hot. It's insane. Matt Walsh and oh, April Richardson I'm sure, I'm sitting sure. in a tree. <laughs> Spreading rumors. Um, no, but he... I was just watching veep because everybody said it was great and i never watched it so i was watching it on apple tv like all at once and this guy showed up in like season three or something i was like who's this guy and then i just looked him up and he was really funny too and i was like okay and so i followed him on twitter and he followed me right back Mm -hmm. like immediately so i was like what and so i just was like hey dude i'm watching i'm just catching up on veep you're really funny and then we just started talking and then was that a dm or just a tweet no i dm'd him I slid in his DMs, <laughs> but I genuinely didn't think I was right. genuinely not hitting on him. Like, I just was like, oh, that's crazy that you just follow me back. I'm just just now watching Veep like three years later and it's great, whatever, whatever. And then he started talking to me and he started being like, what's up? Dude? And I'm like, 
okay. And yeah, he and we're friends. We just, he lives in New York. So we went out when I was in New York with Hardwick, but we still talk all the time. But I was like, okay, super hot guy. <laughs> I saw it. It's just when that happened, I was like, what is this world we live in? I was watching a TV show. I know. It's and weird. two weeks later, I went on a date with that guy. Like, how did the, without the internet that never happened you know what i mean it was weird it's true yeah it is true i uh i had an experience like that but before twitter i'm trying to remember how did you ever watch project Greenlight? i only bits it my ex andy was super into it. the most recent one that everybody was like freaking out about no the like first or second one that no one was talking oh, about no no i didn't see that <laughs> I believe it was the season where they were making Shaker Heights. It's and it's was it still the same people? It's still Ben Affleck and Matt yes. Damon on all of them. Okay, yeah, and Chris something. Okay, there was this second AD who was really funny. He was the comic relief, and I thought he was funny. And somehow I reached out to him, and then we started hanging out. And by that I mean sleeping together. Sure. Um, but I'm trying to remember. I think I must have written something on a message. Bo- Oh my god! But I don't write on message boards. How did I? How did I get in touch with him? I think I must have written something on a Project Greenlight message board, but I don't know how. He and then, then he reached out he, to you. Yes, off of and that. And then I said, I invited him to come see my band play, and then he came, and then we began hanging out. He was sort of new to LA, right? Now I'm really trying to remember how I made contact, though. But I remember, like at the time, thinking how we like it's like I or- I saw this guy on TV and I ordered him off TV and, and now he's yes! in my life. It's, it really felt he that materialized way. through my television screen. It right, was so weird. Yes, yeah, it is kind of crazy how that's a possibility now. Apparently, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's so Very weird. Weird. And yet, I'm liking the shit out of Taylor Swift's Instagram and nothing. No, nothing. no play. No you got to slide in those DMs. Yeah. All right, I'm taking notes. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It's totally weird. Um, April Richardson, it was delightful having you on my show. Likewise. Thank this you was so awesome. Much. For sure. Are you still doing Goat Bayside? No. There's only... I mean, it, it finished, but there's one movie left, and I'm waiting on two dudes' schedules to clear up to be the guests, mm. and that might be in a couple of months. But that's it. After that, there's the one movie where Zach and Kelly get married, and then it's gone forever. Gotcha. It's kind of sad. And people are wondering. They're wondering what... When? Just, when are the next episodes? I can't. It's over. I did them all. That's the thing. People do email me and they're like, keep going. I'm like, I, with what? Right. Like, there's no more episodes no more of the show. Material. Yeah. You guys, if you're going to buy something, perhaps the say by the Bell box set. Is there a box set? There is. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. For all the seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Tons of stuff to buy on Amazon. Click to the Amazon banner on my website, AllisonRosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. Uh, we have ringtones available in the hey, store. Hey, hey, go fuck yourself. And also... Touch the tushy. Touch, touch the tushy, tushy. And I think there's going to be a new one soon, too, because Al made an outrageously delightful doorbell sound on a recent episode. And those are available, uh, yeah, go to the store on my website. You can get them on gumroad.com slash Allison Rosen or iTunes. Uh, bonus episodes available, t-shirts available, all sorts of stuff. If you're going to follow me on Twitter, I recommend you do. And that sentence came out in a funny way. But if you're wondering how to do that, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Email us, A-R-I-Y-M-B-F show at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at Allison Rosen. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe. iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Um, I feel like I'm leaving out something, but 
Uh, maybe I'm not. Jeff, where should we go to find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter, but not Instagram at Colonel Jeff Fox. Even though you are on Instagram. I, I am, but I'm not. A photo. I'm, I am, it's but not I'm, your thing anymore. It's secret. Just only Taylor Swift can see it. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, yeah, it's all <laughs> private lockdown, so that just she can see it. I'm just my my heart's broken. It's Instagram doesn't work because she's not <laughs> dating me yet. So, April, where should we go for you and uh, plug anything that you would like to plug? I'm on tour with Chris Hardwick for the rest of the month, and that's at funcomfortabletour.com for tickets. Um, I am AP on Twitter, A P E Y. I'm April Rich on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. April Richardson comedy, I think, is the one. Oh my God, my this is like <laughs> the final. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Really, I'm gonna try to do some club dates myself this year. So, but anytime I get tour dates or anything, they're always posted on AprilRichardson.com. And go. you know, as for now, my Twitter is just David Bowie YouTube links. <laughs> so I don't blame you if you don't follow me. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, listeners. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best.